This episode of Sea is the New Land was produced for Port City Futures. This episode of Frictions focuses on the Arctic, home to the Sami people, the only recognized indigenous group in Europe. New shipping routes and related logistics infrastructure are planned to cross the melting region, threatening their already precarious community life. My own community is a community that for sure will be affected at least if the railroad comes, if the port, the Chickenes port will be constructed in that scale. My own community, which I come from, I know that they are, they, they are very threatened, they are very frightened about this. Chirkenes, Norway's northernmost coastal town, has been marked on the Arctic shipping route as a possible future megaport. It is planned to connect by train to Rovaniemi and Helsinki in Finland and across the Baltic Sea to Estonia. This would be the first European stop on the Northern Sea Route, also called Polar Silk Road, shortening transit between Asia and Europe by up to 60%. Matti Aikio, a Sami artist, told us what this development means for him. So my father's village reindeer herding district is called Lapin Paliskunta, Lappi reindeer herding district. And the rail, the planned Arctic railway would go right in, in the middle of it because the, the village of Wotso is kind of between these two artificial man-made lakes, which one, the other one is the biggest in, in Northern Europe called Lokka. And the railway, it cannot go around them, so it has to go right in the middle. Since we have already lost so much lands because of loggings, forest industry, these huge lakes, the tourism industry coming coming closer and so on and so on, the system is all already so endangered. We cannot have any any new obstacles, any new new uh, this kind of infrastructure there that would make major changes to the system in the village. The other the people who are full time practicing reindeer herding, some of them have told me that this would be the end, that that's the end of the reindeer herding in our area as we know it. The reindeer are herd in, in like a free natural pastures and depending on the region and the reindeer local reindeer herding culture, they're either being herded all around the year or part of the year or not at all. And then if they're not being like herded at all, the, the reindeer are more like like wild animals in the forest, but they're just being gathered twice a year, once in the summertime for the reindeer earmarking and in the autumn and wintertime for the separation and, and slaughter and so on. Traditionally, it's been a nomadic, at least in the Sami, this traditional reindeer herding culture was was always nomadic and seasonal. So you would migrate sometimes not so long distances, but in some cases really long distances, like hundreds of kilometers between the summer pastures and the winter pastures. And in the Norwegian coast, for example, you would move in the spring to some of the islands. And this still this is still going on. Traditionally, the reindeer would, would swim. Nowadays, they're often being transported on a, on a boat. But in some cases, they, they still swim. And they spend the summer there on the islands, and then they might migrate back to the inland. 
But the, this system has been affected so much by the national borders of the Nordic countries, which is a long history, starting from the 1750s and maybe before that. But there's like a, the the border treaty of 1751 or 52 is a very important border treaty. That that was the first real border that really separated the Sami land in the northern Sami area. But the, the, there was an additional protocol of that border treaty that allowed allowed the Sami people to continue migrating across the national borders as if the borders did not exist. And that's a very, historically, that's a very unique and special border treaty in this respect. During these periods of, of increased assimilation pressure of the Sami culture, the reindeer herding culture has been very, very important of maintaining the Sami language and the Sami culture alive because of its nomadic nature, the, the, that these reindeer herding Sami people have been nomads, nomadic, they have been always sovereign, sovereign in their terrain. They've been able to move there without modern technology in any kind of weather, in any kind of... So this has like really helped in the long run to protect the culture and protect the language because the language also stays alive with the practices, with the practical aspects of the culture. For example, the reindeer herding terminology is really rich in Sami language, but when you lose some of the traditional practices, so you start to also lose those, forget about those words. And and the reindeer herding culture is still so important because when it, when we really start talking about this, like what does indigenous people or indigenous culture mean? And this is, of course, like in the end, it's also a legal term under international law. And this means that then when we have this kind of industrial threats like Arctic Railway or whatever, as long as we have this kind of indigenous status, it means that we can try to use the international law to protect our rights and our culture and our lands against the plans of the Finnish government or the Norwegian government or, or so on. And this is where the reindeer herding culture is really essential because the the living reindeer herding culture in the Sami land is like our most powerful tool to protect, to keep those lands in our use. Because if we stop herding reindeer on those lands, then it's easier for the governments to take over them and build whatever kinds of infrastructure there. Infrastructure connects and disconnects time space in multiple dimensions. In the context of the Arctic, it connects logistic hubs and commercial interests, consolidating national and supranational projects. But at the same time, it disconnects indigenous communities from their land. A temporal relation also emerges the way in which infrastructural apparatus are conceptualized and promoted resonate with colonial practices and memories of dispossession and disempowerment through assimilation. At the start of the 17th century, the Swedish Empire viewed the North as a silver deposit and supported settlers on indigenous land. This period of domination has struggled 
continued during the consolidation of the Scandinavian nation-states, when church and national education both discouraged and suppressed Sami language and culture. This, uh, the assimilation process and the colonization, it never ended. And, and that we just, with the Sami people, we are just like stuck in this never-ending defense war position where we are just trying to like uh, defend what we have left of our lands and our culture. And we know that we cannot lose more. This kind of infrastructure will make it more, more and more and more difficult for the people in the local Sami communities to practice livelihood that is is part of the Sami culture. So this and to make a living out of that. So this means that more and more people will have to find different kind of jobs, move away from the area, which means that the local Sami communities become more and more assimilated. This is a really, really big problem. Infrastructure also plays a fundamental role in the extraction-circulation-accumulation cycle. Sapmi is a territory that suffers already enormous pressure from mining, as well as forestry, hydropower and tourism. Recent estimations identified the Arctic region as holding 20 to 30% of the world's untapped gas and 5 to 13% of the oil reserves. The catalytic potential of infrastructure for driving the extractions is a further concern for Sami people, as Christina Henriksen, president of the Sami Council, explains. The, the planned port. <laughs> and uh, large infrastructure dreams from some of the environments in, in Kirkenes. They seem to be basing them um, on increased extraction of natural resources. Why would you have a, a large port and, and the ships going to, to and from Asia if you were not supposed to, if you're not going to extract something from, from the area? So that is, that is our, our main fear, that, that there will be more extraction in some areas in Sami reindeer husbandry areas, which are already under large pressure from infrastructure projects, from industrial projects, from recreational projects, and every, every kind of encroachment simply don't have any more space to give because all these new infrastructure projects need to be, be planned on new areas instead of, of using already uh, areas already in, in use by the industry. Uh, so the environmental will be threatened, the water around the, the large rivers and the lakes, as a prolongation of that, of course, or uh, the Sami culture itself will be under even more threat than it is already. So all these things are connected. Our culture, our existence is closely connected to access to land, to our ancestral land. As the Norwegian Truth and Reconciliation Commission slowly starts to examine injustices committed by the Scandinavian states against Sami, including dispossession of land and resources, 
large financial investments are being pumped into the Arctic corridor. The mayor of Chirkenes has promoted the Arctic Deepwater port in China, courting the interests of Costco. Peter Verserbaka, the developer of the hit game Angry Birds, is partnering with the Chinese construction firm to build a tunnel from Helsinki to Tallinn. He also signed a preliminary deal with the Chirkenes-based public development company Sorvaranger for developing the Arctic Railway. We spoke to the CEO of this company, Kenneth Stalset. We focused especially on the Arctic Railway projects in connecting this one to the harbor development in, in, in Kirkenes or in the region. Kirkenes is a mining town. It was a company town built around the, the mine. And you can see that the infrastructure here is more or less 100% built to have an efficient mine. At the same time, Kirkenes is also located uh, at the, where the last western point uh, before you go into the eastern markets. town itself is uh, relatively stable. We have had 10,000 inhabitants here for at least 30 years. Uh, we're not growing, we're not necessarily declining either, but what we do need is some sort of development for in order to meet the new world and the new trends and the new competences that we need. And we really think that being located where we are on the map gives us some opportunities. And of course, logistics and, and the harbor development and the railroad is a part of this future vision that we believe in. That combined with a general interest of the Arctic, where we see a lot of money being pooled to the area and heavy investments in both energies, the energy sector, but also the food chamber that the Arctic actually, uh, or the Arctic actually is. So we mean that we are located very nicely in order to take part of this development, but it has to, the development has to happen on the premises of the people that lives up here. The Samis have their traditional work, uh, their reindeer herdings, their culture. So it's a, a melting pot between a lot of things up here uh, and a lot, of, a lot of stakeholders and interests that needs to be brought into the debate. But at the same time, we have the same needs. We need jobs, we need schools, we need housings, we need incomes. Examining what is meant by we and how it relates to power inequalities in this context, it becomes clear how frictions don't merely occur because of different conceptions of development. They reverberate through non-consensual narratives that already fill spaces of exclusion. Despite the scale of this territorial transformation, no survey has been carried out across the Sami society about their needs in terms of jobs, education, and importantly, their relationship to the land. We have explored this issue with Christina Eriksen. Until what extent differences in the idea of development count in this crushing of positions? Well, that is, first and foremost, uh, development uh, based on our areas and our culture and our um, existence without including us is just 
we are we are like i said we're negative to that <laughs> yeah uh, and the, and the concept of an informed consent is something that is rooted in the united nations declaration on rights of indigenous peoples indicating that we are informed when the plans are made early as possible that we can give a consent or dissent the sami communities also would like to develop but not not putting our existence on risk so uh, sustainable development and also by turning the trends of mass production instead of eternal growth because i don't think that is possible how we we see the that this um, infrastructure projects are are initiated to facilitate increased production uh, with our natural resources from the sami areas that is just something we don't see necessary and that is also also where we often clash with uh, the mainstream society and the majority this development is made by very often by people who are not rooted in the north and the money won't stay in the north so why should we be a source of, of wealth for someone who is not going to contribute to developing our societies to develop our educational institutions to uh, contribute to our culture houses and to also to contribute to making sustainable employment in the areas that are seen as remote and wild but that is our homeland and we want to live there there has been any discussion dialogue or negotiation with sami around the port and railway project uh, how transparent has this been uh, the process, I, I must say, the process has not been very transparent. Not only the Sami, but even the local people in Chirkinas have been kind of blindfolded when it comes to this, this large project. I would say it's characterized by uh, great photos and uh, promotion videos of the, of the port itself, uh, saying that Chirkinas uh, could be the new Shanghai or Chirkinas could be the new Rotterdam, uh, as if that's what we want, as if that is why people live there. Uh, and the Sami people, well, the Sami ranger herders in the Norwegian side ar- around Kirkenes uh, have mostly read about the plans in papers. When, when um, confronted, the municipality has said, that, well, of course, we're going to talk to you <laughs> about this. And of course, also, according to Norwegian legislation, they are um, obliged to, to uh, take this to the table where, with the people who are actually affected. The Sami Council arranged a, a seminar or a panel about the project in Kirkenes last February related to the big industry conference, Kirkenes Conference. And we invited the, the, the then mayor to the panel to, do, to meet the reindeer husbandry and the people from both sides of the border. But for some reason, he, he could not attend and, and send his, uh, his substitute, the, subject, the deputy mayor. That was a big disappointment because we would really like to discuss that with with him because he's been promoting this project so heavily both in Norway, Finland, in the EU system and also in China. <laughs> and the Sami parliament in Finland has been more involved and the Sami parliament in Finland has been very clear that this is, this is not going to happen. We cannot allow this. It is impossible to combine this railway and infrastructure project with the Sami uh, livelihoods along the, the route. In terms of, of the role played by infrastructure during the colonization, do you see any continuity with the present condition? Well, the big infrastructure project is when they are implemented, we are just 
uh, being reminded that not so much had changed. Uh, we are not still not making the decisions ourselves. So definitely with the infrastructure and the industrial projects, we see it as a, as a, a still ongoing uh, colonization of uh, our areas. But when we are mentioning the colonization word, of course, uh, our national states in which we live or seem to be offended. They are really defensive, at least the, 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 in the debate the, in the mainstream society. Mentioning the word colonization is uh, something that they are not used to and they don't see themselves as colonizers. Our existence cannot be debated anymore. I just have a, a final question, but I have to confess that it's, not, it's, it's a bit confused in my mind, so I apologize if it's not okay. well articulated. <laughs> Because I've seen that the development of this sport in some way is supported both from the Conservative Party and also from the Labour Party. So how to defend your land and your culture or justice in general from outside of the political spectrum of representation? That is a good question. Um, well, believe it or not, for some Sami are also involved in those uh, national parties. Uh, I'm not sure how much influence they have on the on those issues, but definitely I think it it contributes to raising discussions internally in those in those parties. But in the long run, it is a struggle to to try to stand up to those large parties and the power they represent. Both the Conservative Party and the Labour Party are very pro-industry and pro-infrastructure. So what we can do is that we use the, the channels that we do have. For instance, in the Arctic Council, our, our alliances within the EU institutions, in the Barnes Euro Arctic Council and other international organizations to at least emphasize our expectations and the need to include the indigenous people's perspective. And sometimes we experience that we are listened to and we are, but we do consider ourselves as a, as a serious actor in all of this that people are actually paying attention to when we, when we, when we share our perspectives because they are, they are well thought. Thank you so much, Christina, for your time. Thank you for, uh, for calling. We end this episode of Frictions with the sound work from the private archive of Matti Aikyo. It was exhibited in 2021 at the Barents Spectacle Festival in Cirkenes. Thank you for listening. I understand the term indigenous people, meaning people who carry a continuous living culture from an era when our relationship to nature had not yet become cut off in a way that changes our perspective to nature as something exterior, as something where one goes to, a place one goes to enjoy nature, goes to harvest, goes to exploit, its resources. That is why, from a certain point of view, 
there might not be such a huge difference between establishing a mine or a nature reserve or a windmill park on indigenous land. For what is common in these actions is that they are all done with an understanding of nature as something out there. For living indigenous peoples, nature is not something out there. When we want to protect the wolves, we say that these apex predators are an important part of the ecosystem, as they, by hunting, will keep the ecosystem in balance. That is correct, of course, but then do we apply this rule only to species that appeal to us aesthetically? Why do we need this symbolic act as proof that there is still intact nature when we are messing up the eco ecosystems anyways? Why is it that we cannot think like this when we are exploiting nature on a larger scale? Sami people used to say, fire has burned when the wolves have attacked the herd. But they also said, when the wolves are around, there is food for all the animals of the forest. And the wolf too has the right to his share. I have heard that in South America there are people who believe that when a jaguar goes hunting he becomes human. I do not know if that story is true, but it makes sense to me. When a wolf attacks a reindeer herd and kills 30 animals in one night, maybe he is more human-like than we understand. People like to project values on nature, but nature does not necessarily recognize any human value systems. Maybe the narrative of the wolf being a noble apex predator that by hunting is only taking care of the balance in nature is at least partly a misunderstanding. We still like to believe in it, because it sounds beautiful and we like to believe in beautiful stories. Like the famous story of reintroducing wolves to Yellowstone National Park and in the end of the story the wolves heal the ecosystem in a way that even the rivers begin to flow in new directions. Several biologists have since criticized the story but it is beautiful and it lives on. When the reindeer are at being attacked by predators, of course they suffer. But this suffering is also an inseparable part of life, for life can only exist when living creatures eat other living creatures and become eaten by other living creatures and so on. Also, what might sometimes seem as cruelty could also be evidence of animal culture.
other species than humans also create technologies and tactics. As humans, we seem to have forgotten that all culture, all knowledge, all achievements, they all originally come from nature. Many human inventions are possibly not so human inventions in the end. Did we create music or did we just begin to imitate birds? Did we not observe predators and study their hunting techniques and develop our own based on that observation? It is known that the American Indians developed a certain buffalo hunting technique by observing the wolf. When a wolverine tortures a reindeer until it is half dead, we cannot really say for sure if he does it out of cruelty, as if it gives him pleasure. Perhaps torturing a reindeer gives the wolverine a similar kind of pleasure that humans get in sports fishing. We do not practice catch and release fishing because we enjoy observing the suffering of the fish, but because the whole excitement of catching a fish feels rewarding. We aestheticize nature, we tend to practice nature conservation policies from an aesthetical perspective. We prioritize certain species because of their aesthetic value or qualities that appeal to our emotions. But I think this is very natural. For I think that our aesthetical understanding is originally shaped by nature. And I believe that from very early on, aesthetics was inseparably connected to functionality. An otter is simultaneously a beautiful creature and a great diver and a fisher. A wolf is a superior hunter and a beautiful creature. The harsh punishments of poaching in criminal law can be seen as a result of the observation that reindeer herders have been killing predators in a cruel way when, put, when protecting their herds. This might also be a misunderstanding, for again what seems cruel could actually be a practical question. Some of the assumed cruelty may be collateral damage caused by the hardened attitude towards the herders who are only trying to survive. And maybe protecting one's herd should actually not be called poaching. How can we think that economic growth or creating jobs can be well-grounded arguments for allowing processes that cause ecocide and global warming? But then we don't grant indigenous peoples full self-determination, even in the Nordic countries, where we clearly see how that would benefit the whole ecosystem. The story about the economy being the essential force driving our culture and planet is unfortunately a big misunderstanding. In 2021, we should finally understand that the real driving force, which our economic system also is based on, 
is nature itself. Indigenous peoples have always understood that, but when their habitats are being destroyed and their nature relationship is being broken, they of course have no choice but to move to towns, get normal jobs, wherever it is possible to survive. The Sami are being blamed for going to work at mines when the possibility of life based on traditional livelihood is destroyed. This story is the same among all indigenous peoples around the world. For indigenous peoples, the existence of undisturbed sovereignty of, in their territory is essential. This means that indigenous peoples depend on self-determination. Once an indigenous group cannot self-draw the borders of its culture, pressure for assimilation increases. Assimilated indigenous groups do not depend on their habitat anymore. Once the connection is lost, who cares about mines or railroads or destruction of the ecosystem as long as there are jobs? The endless conflicts between the Sami people and the Nordic nation-states is an evidence that the assimilation process of the Sami people has not yet been completed. The fact that the indigenous cultures demand large, intact, natural territories for their culture to stay alive is fueling hatred and racism. But we should not forget that the indigenous land management is in the end for all of us. If we look at the world today in times of ecocide, global warming and pandemics, we may see that those areas still inhabited by living indigenous cultures become more and more valuable for the whole of humankind, as well as for the rest of the species. The nation-states seem to practice nature policies where nature is seen as something of whose resources can be endlessly exploited or it is seen as something that has to be protected but protected like an image or like a carefully curated art exhibition where someone from the outside chooses which plants and animals are worth preserving. Time is an important element of indigenous relationship to nature. In a world of cyclic understanding of time, sustainable use of nature is for granted. Endless exploitation, on the other hand, can only be possible in a world with the linear understanding of time.